Oh, boy, we're nearly at the end of October. I mean, yeah, sure. In the kayfabe sense. Kayfabe. Uh, kayfabe. And you know what's funny? I've been waiting to ask you this all week. Do you know what the scariest news in October was? COVID's coming back? Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's one thing. But do you know what the real scary news is? Uh, the rise of the far right over the past four years in the United States? That's That's also scary. I will give you that. But do you know what the really, really scary thing is? I can't think of a third one, so no. Well, that's good, because the really scary thing is is that your boy Barry Jenkins has decided to direct The Lion King 2. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Good for him. Hey, He's going to get that cheddar. That movie is literally never going to happen. Whatever. <laughs> so you're calling this a movie that does not exist before it It, it already doesn't exist. <laughs> wow. I mean, it is going to be really funny every time we have to refer to Barry Jenkins. I'll be like, oh, you know what? Let's go through his filmography. Well, he has Moonlight, and then there's if Beale Street could talk, and then... Oh, what's this? The Lion King 2. He also has Medicine for Melancholy. Let's not, look, look, let's look, not forget Medicine for Melancholy. Look, until you come on Ben's radar, everything before means nothing. I mean, that's, that's just the way it works. Yeah, sure. When the final reel is spun And the credits have been run You can count on the wisdom Of these two white guys talking film Just two white guys talking film Welcome everybody to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from a lake named Mungo to a place where you rent videotapes because there's no cable... This is Two White Guys Talking Film. It is our second part of the Best in the Decade of Horror, the 2000s edition. I'm, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm sleepy. We're recording this late because I had a lot of errands to run on the day that we were supposed to record, and I had to back out. Look, you had Um, to get your girlfriend out of that haunted house or whatever it was. Yeah. You want to hear the scariest thing they'll hear on this podcast? Yeah. Four more years. (laughs) Just saying, it's the scariest thing. Guys, if you're listening to this, get the fuck out and vote. Ugh, even I believe in that, and I'm the laziest dude on the planet when it comes to any sort of responsibility. I don't think I've ever missed a vote. No, I never have either, because it's our right and it's our privilege as Americans. Not every country allows this shit. I used to be like one of those people who was just like, I guess I gotta go vote for fucking the senators, I don't know. And he was only voting for the team, the Washington Senators. That was the weird yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, I, they didn't exist anymore. Obscure hockey jokes. Uh, oh, wait. Well, you, I guess well, I'm thinking of the baseball team, the Senators, because that was the team in the 30s. Oh, anyway. yeah, that's right. Now they're the Washington Nationals. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you this. We did do a vote, technically. And we voted and put together a list of the top 10 horror movies. And we're now f- doing five to one. We're in the, we're in the, we're in the upper crust. We're in the the sweet spot. Uh, Yes, we are. And we should start at number five. And number five is the sequel that surpasses the first in many ways. But most importantly, makes it into a road picture and widens the universe itself. 
truly Rob Zombie's masterpiece of not only direction, but also casting in multiple roles. A career performance by William Forsyth is one half of the film. The other half is made up of the talented Sherry Moon Zombie, Sid Haig, and the amazing Bill Mosley. This is the Rob Zombie film, The Devil's Rejects. Your text made my day go a lot better today. <laughs> you want to read it to him? I believe I can remember it off the top of my head, which is DDP's in this? <laughs> I believe I wrote, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't do anything. I mean, he does one mm. thing, but mm. he he's a very Wrong. important character. He rocks. But he only appears for like four minutes, and I was just like, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute, is that Diamond Dallas Page? This is like, oh my god, someone's gonna get hit with a diamond cutter. Oh, it's a shame that does not happen. Had you seen this before? Yes, and it had been like probably a decade since I'd seen it. Because like my my mom used to watch it all the time. My mom loves Rob Zombie, both his music and his movies. And like she went to go see Three from Hell in theaters, so... That's how much she loves Rob Zombie and loves like Damn. the Devil Rejects. And so like I used to this was just like a staple of my childhood. Like it just used to be on all the time. And so I know the movie pretty well. But it had been a really long time since I had like sat down and seen it. And I also think, if I remember correctly, one of our earliest like moments like talking about horror 
um, you brought up the Devil's Rejects, and I was like, oh yeah, Devil's Rejects, like a really good movie. And you're like, you know, no one else has ever agreed with me. Yeah, it's... I will, I will say this. This is how good The Devil's Rejects is. Not only is it a movie where it's a sequel and it's a superior sequel to the original. I don't know if you agree with that. Not only that, I would argue this boasts one of the strongest openings I've ever seen to a movie. Oh, yeah. Like, you're in the movie immediately. You know exactly what's happening. Also, I'll say this. Maybe one of the best pieces of music to open a movie. Yeah. Midnight yeah, Rider by the Almond Brothers, when that sequence is going on, I'm like, like the minute that song kicked off, I was like, oh, this movie's going to fucking rock from start to finish. And it does. I just realized why the movie looks the way it does. What do you mean? It's the, the movie incorporates like a lot of like handheld and like documentary style filmmaking mm-hmm. uh, techniques. And it's because the cinematographer is the guy who shot Harlan County, USA. Oh, interesting. Which is like, well, it's not a good filmmaker. I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no. I think he's a great filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. So I think it's you who have to ask the questions. I do. First question is, what is this movie about? Well, to answer that, you got to kind of go back to the first movie. And I can really sum up the first movie this way. There's a guy named Captain Spaulding. He directs a bunch of people to go see this tree that is apparently the resting place of a guy named Dr. Satan. Those people run afoul of a crazy family known as the Firefly family. They immediately torture all these people and kill them, and then just horror ensues. Also, they kill a couple cops. One of them is Walton Goggins. The other is Tom Tolles. This movie picks up, I don't know how soon after that, but Tom Tolles has a brother who's played by William Forsythe. William Forsythe, by the way, may be giving the performance of a lifetime. And William Forsythe shows up to their ranch and gets like him and like 12 other men just shoot the shit out of the ranch. And two of the, the fireflies escape. And that would be Sherry Moon Zombie's character, Baby, and Bill Mosley's character, Otis. By the way, Bill Mosley, once again proving why he is the man of horror. Tom Scholes, also, if we ever do a horror decade best of the 80s, is in maybe one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Yeah, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. <laughs> oh, that's right. He is in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. That is my number one, or maybe my number two of the 80s, I think. He plays Otis. Means we that means I have to watch Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Again. Yeah, that's a rough one. Yeah, yeah, it is. This is a rough one. This is a rough one. The, 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 there's there's two. We, we're getting a real rough back to back here to start oh, us off. God, we are. Yeah, it's coming. Uh, we can talk about the next. Oh, I love oh okay. But, so this movie is about essentially Baby Otis and Captain Spaulding, played by Sherry Mood Zombie. Bill Mosley and Sid Haig on the run from the law who the main law enforcement is William Forsythe who starts to kind of skim the line between legal and illegal as a lawman. And it's just kind of about both experiences leading towards one another. He begins to really start to torture these people in order to make them pay for something. I think this movie is kind of an allegory for the Iraq war. Oh, fascinating. Really? I don't know if it's intentional, but it the way he the way Forsyth like tortures them and like is showing them mm. pictures of like the victims and stuff like that. And like is like I gotta murder these people, like I gotta bring like, the only way I can bring them to justice is to like essentially like overkill them and like destroy them. And the fact that the movie is like set in Texas mm-hmm. and so it has like a lot of Texas iconography to it. 
and William Forsythe is a Texan. It feels kind of like it might be somewhat of an indictment of Americans' proclivity to go to war with with Afghanistan and like just blow shit up and like destroys people's lives for maybe the wrong reasons. <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of what I got from it this time uh, watching it, where I was like, oh, you could very easily make an argument that this is critical of war with Afghanistan and Iraq at this time, especially the horrors of Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay. The points you're making are pretty damn sound, actually. It's a fascinating way to look at it. Like I said, I'm not sure if that was like Rob Zombie's like entire intention going into this movie, but it definitely does feel intentional and i know there's a lot of movies around this time period that are attempting to do that and i think that's kind of why the torture porn genre sort of exists is to kind of contextualize and make sense of these horrible things that we are reading and seeing in the news every day and you know try to make sense of it although i don't think eli roth is nearly as smart as rob zombie which is saying a lot i don't know if his intention was to set out to make a movie about the trials and tribulations of what the Iraq war has done to this country. I think he did set out to make a movie that somehow surpasses the original. And I'll say this, like every time I watch the first time I saw the, the first one house of a thousand corpses, I said to myself, I don't think I liked this at all because I didn't realize what he was doing. As I have gone through the decades of watching horror movies and brushing up on the subject of horror, because let's be honest for a long time, horror was my weakest subject when it came to movies. The more I watch movies of horror, the more I go back to The House of a Thousand Corpses, I realize it is a love letter to anything horror. Yeah. And And it's really well done. And also, it's very experimental for a first movie. It is. I mean, I haven't watched, like, that's a movie I haven't watched probably longer because it scared me so much as a child. Like, just the cover, like, freaked me out. I think you can kind of see it a direct line from Toby Hooper to these two Mm -hmm. movies. And I think specifically Devil's Rejects, I'm not entirely sure if House of a Thousand Corpses is like this, but Devil's Rejects is funny. And even though like horrible things are happening and like in it, and it's just like totally disgusting and gross. The movie has like comedic timing with some of its like violence, which is just so it feels like like Texas Chain. It feels like Toby Hooper because like Toby Hooper used to dabble in that and like the red humor and stuff where it's like let's make this like death funny. Like let's it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre too essentially. Mm-hmm. I think this movie is kind of in that vein, although a much more serious version of it. It's not even that. It's necessarily in vain with that. Rob Zombie is a really talented guy when it comes to crafting a story and i mean he's a musician too and musician is just telling a short version of a story in like song form his ability to drop and raise tension like and and not do it in a way where it's like okay we've hit the bottom of the hill it's going to be calm for a while he does it in a way where like he will drop it out of nowhere like think about the scene between cutter and his brother where you think like, oh, he's fucked them over. And then it turns out just to be a big joke. And also you talk about unintentionally funny. Think about the scene where Sid Haig tells that kid if he doesn't figure out why he doesn't like clowns, he's going to come back there and kill his whole fucking family. It's well, I never so s- funny. I never said unintentionally funny. I, oh, no, I no, no, I know. Very intentionally funny. <laughs> but just like, I mean, he gets it. Like, it's an incredible film. Like, Brian Pesane's whole character is a punchline. 
to him getting shot in the head. Oh yeah. And when he gets shot in the head, it's a punchline because he makes a like a terrifyingly funny noise. It's like simultaneously like very terrifying and sad, but also like kind of funny. <laughs> like I laughed when he died. You know what I love about it too, and why I think it makes it also a superior sequel. When you make a sequel, you have to go bigger. He takes the character of Otis, and this is a weird thing to say about this character. He takes him from like kind of what Ash was in the first Evil Dead into the second one, where it's like, oh, he's now a full blown superhero. <laughs> like, like Bill Mosley's character is way more cut in this movie. Like, they were like, like Rob Zombie must come to him and be like, you might want to like get in shape for this one because you're gonna be like kind of like the the action guy. The first time I saw this was, I think, on home video sometime. Wow. When I like first came out, cause, like I said, my parents were big House of a Thousand Corpses. Well, my mom was big House of a Thousand Corpses fans, so she rented it like immediately. And my question is, when was the first time you saw this? I saw this in theaters with my friend Mike Davis at the time. I will say this. Mike and I parted ways a long time ago. Nothing bad or anything. But if there was one friend who was kind of predetermined we saw horror movies together, it was Mike Davis. I can run you off four movies we saw together. I saw the remake to Dawn of the Dead with him, The Devil's Rejects, Freddy vs. Jason, and most importantly, Seed of Chucky. Which I will tell you right now is the only time I've woken up after a movie the next day and had a hangover from the movie. That movie's good. Seed of Chucky's good, is that what you just said? Yeah. It's not. Yeah, that's good. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, what's good about it? Explain it to me, because it ain't John Waters. No. Yeah, it was good. Oh, I can't stand that movie. I literally got home, and I was like, you know what? wasn't that bad. Went to bed and woke up the next morning and go, the fuck was I thinking? Oh, my head hurts. <laughs> you should watch it again. That's good. Uh, is that mm. the one with Jennifer Tilly? Well, that's Bride of Chucky as well. Oh, okay. Well, Bride of Chucky is good. See, the Chucky no, is Bri- also- Bride of Chucky is good. I'm not disagreeing with you on that. I think Chucky is okay. Do you know the tagline to Seed of Chucky? No. Get a load of Chucky. <laughs> no, don't have that. <laughs> don't you give them that? You make them earn your laughs. <laughs> That's so fucking stupid. I know, I know. Oh. And I saw it in theaters. I, well, that's your problem, man. I saw that oh. on cable. The way it's meant to be seen. What's your favorite scene or scare? Honestly, favorite scene or scare? I mean, favorite scene is definitely the opening. I think from the time the movie starts to the end of the song Midnight Rider is arguably one of the best openings I've ever seen to a movie. And it just runs the credits through it too and it never loses you. But in mm. terms of like best scene outside of that, I kind of love the we think they've gotten scot-free and they're hanging out at the whorehouse and there's that beautiful montage of them. It's weird. They are the worst people in the world. But there's like kind of this weird niceness to them if they're around people who are like them. Yeah. Like Bill Mosley's character is incredibly tender and loving to that woman. Yeah. It's kind of truly bizarre. Like Sherry Moon Zombie's character is having a nice conversation. Sid Haig is hanging out and having a wonderful time with his, I'm assuming, half-brother? I think what the movie frames is that the movie pits them as outsiders. And, like, because of that, we sort of identify with them, even though they're horrible. We watch them do horrible things throughout the movie. We can kind of be like, but they are outsiders. And 
like they are kind of outside of the system and it's when you have that scene at the at the at the brothel where you kind of sort of get on their side and also because of the sheriff like really torturing the shit out of them and yeah. like cattle prodding them like you're like oh i kind of want them to win like weirdly like the movie does it does the fucking brett austin like double turn where you you go mm. from like rooting for one person and then like no 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 actually <laughs> the bad guy's the good guy now <laughs> you want to hear my favorite line in the movie yeah you want to start the killing you best start it right here I love that scene between him and William Forsyth. He goes, and you better put me down. And then he just fucking shoots Sid Haig. And he goes, he goes, fuck you, clown. And you're just like, well, good for you. You're the first person not to fall for the keep talking until they can get close enough to your routine. It's good. They make the villain evil, not stupid. Exactly. Which I think is like a thing they can like very easily fall into. What is your favorite scene, actually? I, the ending. You know, oh, where he essentially just says, "Okay, time to do the encore and just play Freebird." It's but it's it's perfect because like oh, Freebird, the line like "Lord, I can't change," being like screamed over and over again, and yeah. then does the wild bunch. <laughs> they do a wild bunch. <laughs> yeah, um, they really, they really, really do. And th- I think the way the movie is edited too is also. Like, it uses music to jar you and, like, really make you uncomfortable because it just cuts to silence. Like, it, there's no screams. It's just, like, they're, they're shooting. People are being hurt. They're, being, they're screaming. There's blood everywhere. And then it just cuts. Boom. And then you get the credits. And the credits are silent. There's no music playing over the credits. And it's kind of haunting. It's a really good ending. Yeah, you're right. It is very haunting, actually. And I think it's because he didn't know if he was going to get a third crack, which... Have you seen Three from Hell, I guess, is my question? I haven't yet. It's on Shudder. I'll probably watch it this October. I meant to watch it last October, and I just... I never did. Well, it came out, like, a year ago, I think, like, a couple days from now. So... A couple days ago, actually. It came out, like, I think, October 6th. Did it now? Yeah. There we are. I saw it. I've heard it's pretty okay. I'm not going to say anything... I like the first half better than the second half. And that's um, a hard road to hoe. <laughs> All right. There's something in it and something not in it that deeply affects the way I feel about it. Mm. Well, next week, ladies and gentlemen, if you hear me talk about the most interesting film that I've seen this week, if it is a certain something... You will know. We will have this talk. Yes. Yes, we will. Well, I'll say this to you. Here's my here's my pitch to you for next year, since we're going to have to trim our top 10 down to a top five next year, because one of the episodes will have to be the Mount Rushmore. The other two episodes, here's my pitch for you. One of them, we do Inferno and Suspiria together, and the other one, we do Three from Hell and House of a Thousand Corpses. Ooh, I have I a VHS of the House of a Thousand Corpses. So I just need to get my VHS. Of course, of course, you would watch on VHS. You. It's more. It's the like scariest that. way to watch it. It's it's not helping anyone. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> Some movies you make it muddier and harder to see things. They become way scarier. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Like you're not wrong. I want to get my VHS working so I can finally watch fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre on VHS. Ugh. Ding. <laughs> 
right. Say the next question. Why does it belong on this list? This is a superior sequel. Like, that's a hard thing to do, number one. Not only that, this is just like, this This is what you start off a top five with. This is not the best horror movie of the decade, but goddamn if this is not in the conversation. If I was making like a top 25 movies of the 2000s, it's probably on there. It's probably 25. Yeah, I, I, bet, I bet that's not. I bet that's uh, not unheard of, especially for 25. One of the best American movies of the decade, and it fucking whips. Yeah, it does not stop. Like, and it, you're you're actually your analysis is perfect. He flips it halfway through, and you're like, "Oh, I'm on their side now," which is yeah. weird to say. Yeah, he does the he does the double turn. It's great. It's a hard move to pull off. What would you pair the Devil's Rejects with? <sighs> Honestly, I might pair it with like the Hitcher. I think it's kind of a perfect pairing. The they're Hitcher? Ro- yeah, they're both road movies. The original? Yeah, the Rucker Hauer oh. one. Yeah, good movie. Yeah. It is. Not the Sean Bean one, no. I've, I haven't seen it since it came out. I don't remember liking it. Well, let's go on to our, our number four. Number four. Another one from the new French extremity. <laughs> this movie could be seen as a reaction to American torture porn at the time. It comes out from 2008. Directed by Pascal Lugier. Played at the Cannes Film Festival where people fucking hated it <laughs> walkouts people really not liking it mired in a bit of a mixed critical reaction the very extreme the gross the disgusting the very hard to watch from 2008 martyrs So you're how old? 18. Do you know what your parents did to me? There's a moment in the G1 this year 
where Toru Yanu like tapes Zack Sabre Jr.'s arm to a chair through the guardrail. So essentially, chairs on one side, Zack Sabre Jr.'s arm is tied to it. He can't get the chair through the guardrail. He'll be counted out as the premise. He gets it through, gets back into the ring, and like just has the most upset look on his face. And this is how I'm going to tie this in here. He says, Toru Yano looks at him, he goes, he goes, you're mad. You're mad. Like, they, they translate it. And Zack Sabre Jr. goes, oh, I bloody wonder why. Like, and he goes, I bet. That is exactly how I'm sure the people at the Cannes Film Festival responded when they saw this movie. Because I got to tell you, my friend, you say that they were walked out mad. I bloody wonder why. Like, why the fuck do you think they walked out? This may be not only one of the most upsettingly bleak movies you have ever shown me, (laughs) this also might be one of the best movies you have ever shown me. It is a 97-minute build to one moment. And it's... So fucking worth it when you get there. Now, you are pissed off for 97 minutes. It is literally like someone just showing you a tape of your girl just getting pounded out better than you've ever done it. (laughs) And you just have to sit there and take it. But at the very, very end, the guy pounding her out has a massive coronary and just dies. So, you know, you're like, you know what? Fair. You say bleak. Fucking Christ. Yeah, it's pretty bleak. And while I understand... I understand you saying that. I kind of disagree. I don't think I don't find the movie bleak. I find it to be grueling and hard to watch, but and like upsetting and like it'll emotionally make me upset for a couple of days. But I find its message and meaning, at least what I get from it, to be sort of hopeful. You can, you know, suffer these horrible things and like, I don't know, fucking love this movie. I've seen it like four or five times, which is maybe How? a testament to How my broken brain. Four or five times. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever watching this again. <laughs> by the way, I by the way, I, I talked to a friend of mine at work who'd seen it and he goes, Oh yeah, you haven't seen Martyrs yet, huh? And I'm like, no. And he goes, Okay, let me know what you think. Next day I come out, I go, Hey Michael. He goes, Yeah, Ben, I just flipped him off and I just walked away. And he's like, How was Martyrs? I'm like, you know what it was. <laughs> girl came up to me later that day who always hangs out with Michael she goes why'd you flip Michael off and I'm like it's a movie called Martyrs and I, then I looked at her dead in the eyes and said you're too sweet to see Martyrs do not don't watch, watch it don't watch and she goes, she goes what's it about I said just don't watch it I said I'm just telling you right now I don't think you would enjoy yourself and you shouldn't have to go through that you're a good person <laughs> it's about Martyrs <laughs> yeah I mean do you know what a martyr is there you go it's a movie about torture and about people being tortured. Boy, is it. Um, Why don't you tell us what it's about? So, it's a very simple premise. It's about two women named Lucy and Anna. And, you know, Lucy was tortured at a young age. She escaped the people who were torturing her. And befriended Anna at an orphanage. And years later, shows up at the doorstep of this wealthy uh, French family and brutally and systematically murders all of them with a shotgun. And then calls Anna. Anna shows up to the house and Lucy shows Anna that they have been hiding a basement. And in that basement, there is a woman who's been tortured severely. has like bolts over her eyes and has not been fed. 
And what essentially you learn is that there is a group of wealthy people who torture women and try and bring them to what they quote unquote call the final stage, which is where they are supposed to have a euphoric sensation where they see God, heaven or the afterlife or whatever. And that's what the movie's about. It's like, like Ben said, it's an hour and 40 minutes long and it is tough. And guys, when he says torture them, like, I can't remember who said it, but we talk always about the 100 scariest movie moments from Bravo. Mm -hmm. They did another one called 30 even scarier movie moments, which they're not. Although Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is on that one, and I know that's something you enjoy. But it's fucked up. There's a moment where, like, they're talking, I think, about one of the Saw movies. I think it's Saw 2, but I cannot be sure. And I think the writer of Saw 2 says, he goes, you know, you go back and you look at the way we used to torture people during the confessional times where we got people to admit to being sinners. He goes, you really realized you haven't scratched the surface on what you can do to another human being. That's exactly what this movie test tests the question of. Cause there's just moments in this movie guys where you're just going to be unfucking comfortable looking at the screen. And I, I'm a dude who doesn't shy away from a lot, but even I was like, Jesus tap dancing Christ. Can she have a water please? Like it, can we give her like five minutes on the bench. Once it gets to that point, it just doesn't stop. And I think that's the part that's like so hard for people. It's like, it's kind of, it makes you so tense and, and you're just waiting for the roller coaster to end. And when it ends, boy, does it end. And it ends in a great way. I don't know if we'll talk about that, but no, we're going to, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about, okay, we'll yeah. spoil the whole thing, but it's a, it's a roller spoil coaster. Devil's right rejects. I mean, come on. We did spoil it. We'll, we'll spoil all of them. Fuck it. Who cares? If you want, if you have any interest in watching Martyrs after what we just said, uh, don't listen to the rest of this. Although it doesn't matter, really. <laughs> That's the thesis statement of the movie. None of it matters. <laughs> None of it matters. It's all, it's um, all fucking nothing. Nothing. Is, everything is pointless. Nothing will come from nothing. It's the only and sure thing I know. It's about a lot. Yeah, yeah, it is. And yeah, it's... Well, oh, we said... You said you really can't spoil the ending because, like... Yeah, it's nothing. Like... It, the ending is... It's... it's because the, the the point of the movie isn't like the ending is like oh it's like twist it's like what is they what do they know so essentially what happens is I'm not gonna spoil what happens to Anna because I think I think if you've heard of martyrs and you you don't know it you probably know what happens but it's oddly beautiful the last time you see her I will exactly. give you that but it's also just maybe the most nightmarish sequence I've ever seen it's not great. <laughs> They bring the members of the society together at a house to learn like what happened with Anna and Mademoiselle is like talking in the bathroom with her, the assistant and Mademoiselle is like talking with the assistant and the assistant essentially brings up like what like what are you what happens like what knowing Mademoiselle just says keep doubting and then shoots herself in the mouth. <laughs> so like what do you infer from that ending? Like, I, I, <laughs> what I if Anna think... whispered to Mademoiselle uh, as as Anna died? Like, you you never will know, and it's that's what I think. That's the terrifying. Uh, I mean, aspect to me because either I think it's either I think it's one of three things. Mm. Either it's paradise, and Mademoiselle wants to get there faster. It's nothing, which is just like she's like, who cares? It's pointless. Or three. Which, this is the one I don't think it is. I think it's an unspeakable, or it's unspeakable hell. Like, who knows? Like, 
I like, and she's just like, and the unspeakable hell one makes me think she's like, well, might as well get it over with. Like, it's going to happen eventually. I think if it's like, I've, so people have brought up that they think that it's uh, Anna saw God and God said, and Mademoiselle's going straight to hell, essentially. Like, all those people are going straight to hell. That's fair. I never believed in that because, like, why would she shoot herself to go straight to hell? Like, what's the point when you want to live forever <laughs> if you know you're going to go to hell? I guess, yeah. To me, it's always been like there's nothing. There's nothing. Yeah, it's the scariest because, one. Because like if you're if you spend all this time like torturing people and you find out that it's for no reason, like you would fucking shoot yourself. Oh yeah, you couldn't live with yourself. You'd be like all those people. Like if you had found out there was a world beyond this one, maybe then you could justify to the science books. Like, look, we had to know, and this was the only way we knew how to do it. Like, sorry, we didn't know that if you invented a chip that you put under your tongue, it could do the same thing when you dreamed. We didn't have that technology yet. Thousands of years in the future, we do. But like here and now, this was the only way we know. It. But to find out, it's like, there's nothing. You see nothing. The lights go out and you'd just be like, well, fuck this. Bam. I'd um, ask you who's in it, but it's a bunch of French people. A bunch of French people. I will say that there is a remake of this movie. It's terrible. Don't watch it. 2015, right? Yeah. Don't watch it. It does not understand what Martyrs is about. When did you first see this? First saw it four. Five years ago, I was living in an apartment in Reno, so it was probably closer to four years ago. I just kind of watched it on my laptop while other people were in the room, because <laughs> I am a crazy person, I think. Why do I feel and... you started on a couch and then ended up in a corner, so only your back, only thing that could it's be... kind of what happened. I started yeah. on a couch, ended up in a beanbag chair <laughs> with, my back, with, my, with my back towards a wall. <laughs> exactly. Just be like, no one can see behind me. No one can see them. I am isolated. It ruined my week. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> by the way. It ruined mine. I mean, thank God I'm going through something pretty bad right now. So it's like, well, you know, Look, there is something worse out there. Like, I'll say this. I looked at Martyrs. I go, you know what? Could be worse. I'll give it to it. Thanks a bunch, Martyrs. Oh, none of those girls are, are buying a condo. So you know what? I'm okay with this. <laughs> What is your favorite scene? Because I have actually one for this. When they shoot Xavier Dolan in the chest. Is that the guy? It's the little boy. Oh, wow. Really? That's your favorite scene? He's a filmmaker and he's kind of annoying, but he makes good movies, but he's kind of annoying. Fair enough. I got to tell you, what I love about this movie is, so it starts off with a girl running away from something. You're like, okay, something obviously happened, but who knows? And then it hard cuts to 15 years later and she shows up and blows that whole family away. There's a long time in that sequence where you're not 100% sure if she's just making it up. And what I love is when they eventually show you that this is all very real, you're kind of caught off guard because they do the <laughs> thing again where like it's like, oh, I'm on their side now. Whatever happens from here on out, I'm on their side. There's a room with a woman down there like, and she clearly is not there by her own volition. I think something to not take for granted, something to notice about this movie, is that the color palette is blue, white, and red, which is mm -hmm. the French flag. And that's very intentional. He is clearly kind of criticizing the like French bourgeoisie, the French, like, like just rich French people. Yeah. Essentially. The movie's really smart. It is. Really well made. Well, I don't think it's any question to ask it because i think you kind of just stated there but also any other reasons why you think it should be on the list i 
think part of the list is we, we should be looking at movies from like all over the globe and movies of all of different styles. And it does, I do am kind of slightly ashamed that I snuck two French extremity films on here and didn't put like a real true J horror movie. But I think mm. when you look at the, the, the swath of movies that came out in the two thousands that are horror movies, I think French new French extremity is a big part of that list and i think this is important i think it's a it's like the benchmark of how extreme a movie could be at the time that this came out and eventually it would be like you know matched in later years with movies like raw although i don't think raw is nearly as as bad as it's movie. but yeah i think it's kind of important when a movie is both very extreme and very good and very transgressive and like transgressive for a good reason and not just because. Unlike Hostel. <laughs> oh, God, you're not wrong. This is like Which, what uh, Hostel looks at this and goes like, well, something to shoot for. We're never going to get there. Hostel is the Burger King to Martyrs McDonald's. I don't I know if that's, that's a correct thing to say, but, you know. I think it's this came out after Hostel. And I got to imagine that Eli Roth saw it and was just like, fuck. <laughs> that's what I was trying to do. Damn it. I'm bad Damn. at this. <laughs> I'll just go be the bear Jew. What would you pair this with? Because God help us. Oh, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I know what I'd pair it with. I would pair it with the first Saw movie. Oh, that's fair. I don't know why. No, that nation. actually that would be fun because here's what you're gonna do. Saw comes out in the '90s, right? Two thousand. Two thousand. Okay. Well, and this is two thousand one. Two thousand eight. Oh, two thousand eight. Here's the beautiful thing. By rules of, of our idea, you play them in order of when they got released. You get everyone in for Saw, and then you really just fuck them over with Martyrs. Really just hit them. Hit them over the head. That is like a sweet kiss on the cheek before just going in dry. Like, that is what that is, really. Like, because people are going to be like, I love the first Saw. It's kind of a mystery. It's fun. And then you just dry fuck them with martyrs and it's like what the fuck did we do wrong to the projectionist like is he mad at us martyrs is fucking upsetting but it's really well done that's the worst really? part about it like i'm kind of mad i hadn't seen because i the reason i put it off full disclosure i heard there was just a horrific rape scene in it, and i was like no, i don't want that like and th uh, there isn't which is i weird. think you're thinking of irreversible no i know irreversible's rape scene trust me <laughs> oh okay no, no, like, I've seen that movie, and I was like, oh, well, this comes out of nowhere. It doesn't come out of nowhere. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, when it happens, you're, oh, let me rephrase, it doesn't come out of nowhere, but when you're sitting there, you're like, this is going on a while. Like, it's like he's shooting this in real time. Oh, it's as, as if. Um, who told you that? They're wrong. They, they just need to stop talking about this movie. What? I said, whoever told you that is wrong, and they need to stop talking about this movie. Well, that moves us on to our next one. And our next one is a little horror story about a reporter who stumbles across a videotape that holds a dark secret and an even deadlier consequence. An adaptation of the Japanese film is masterfully adapted by Gore Verbinski and is one of the scariest films of its decade. It also is among one of Naomi Watts' best works to date. Fight me on that, if you will. This is, of course, the movie by Gore Verbinski starring Naomi Watts, The Ring. You pick something, I don't care. Do you have any idea how many electro rays are traveling through our head every second? 
I got a better one. Mm. Have you heard about this videotape that kills you when you watch it? What kind of tape? A tape. A regular tape. People run it. I don't know. You start to play it, and it's like somebody's nightmare. Then suddenly, this woman comes on, smiling at you, right? Seeing you through the screen. And as soon as it's over, your phone rings. Someone knows you've watched it. And what they say is, you will die in seven days. And exactly seven days later. Who told you that? Somebody from Rivera. Who told you? What's your problem? I've watched it. It's a story, Katie. No, me and Josh, we saw it last weekend. I thought you were with your parents. Uh, I wanted to tell you. You were with Josh all Some weekend? of his friends got this, this place up in the mountains. They were trying to record a football game. I guess the reception was so bad. What are you talking about? Listen to me. When we played the tape, the game wasn't there. It, it was... What? What was it? It was something else. We thought it was some kind of sick joke. And then the phone rang. It was a week ago. A week ago tonight. Uh, you're just trying to scare me. You know, originally we were going to have a different Naomi Watts film on this list. <laughs> Look, Naomi Watts is Naomi Watts. It works no matter what you do. I'm serious. Fight me on it. This is one of my favorite Naomi Watts performances. Someone clearly hasn't seen The Lift. The Lift? Yeah. Oh, is that the one where she's on a lift? Oh, uh, it's well, she's not on a she's not on a lift. It's about a, it's about a lift that kills people. What? It's an Australian film. Is it haunted? <laughs> Haunted by demonic possession, I've maybe. Never, I've never looked up a movie so fast. Like, you've almost talked me into this movie. Yeah, I, I believe she's in the lift. 1983? Maybe I'm wrong. I think I'm wrong. Yeah, she's not in the lift. I'm a liar. I'm going to do the line from Fargo. You're just a liar. A fucking liar. But you should see the lift. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what just stopped oh, being Jesus. lifted was me because Naomi Watts isn't in it. Who cares? So there's a Dutch film called The Lift. She's in Down, which is the remake of it, which is also about Rahana and the Elevator. It's just called Down? It's called Down, and it kills people. Down's not very good. The Lift, eh, pretty fun. Uh, it's not called Down. It's called The Shaft. Well, it's actually got two oh, names, Jesus. it looks like. That's way worse. It's a movie called The Shaft, directed by Dick Moss. That's pretty great. That's pretty fun. 2001. Oh, this was out this year, too. Look at this. Stop riding Naomi Watts. What's your problem here? Naomi <laughs> Watts is dick, okay? Let her just do her. She's in Twin Peaks. Yeah. The Ring might be one of the most rewatchable horror movies for me. That's funny you say that, because this was the first time I had watched it since uh, it was a new movie. I think. Really? I, I haven't seen it in forever. I fucking love this movie. 
think it's pretty good. We're both agreed, right? It's Gore Verbinski's masterpiece. I've been forced to watch Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, so many times. I've got to say it's Pirates of the Caribbean, just out of sheer obligation okay, to this 8th is, grade band. This is his underrated masterpiece. I don't think it's underrated, though. No, you're right. It made a lot of money. His underrated masterpiece would be like The Weatherman or The Mexican or something. Yeah, I've never seen either of those movies. <laughs> you ever seen The Weatherman? I've seen it, but it, it just didn't do anything for me. I, you know what That's I good. say? You know what I kind of liked? Rango. We've we literally already had this conversation. I know, I know we have, <laughs> but I don't think they'll hear it. You want to know what the ring's about? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm gonna send you a video to watch. Get it? There, I summed up the ring for you. <laughs> uh, the ring is about honestly, like if you guys have not seen the ring, I don't know what the fuck you're doing listening to this podcast because you know, I mean, martyrs just happened, so. I don't know what you're doing if you haven't seen The Ring. The Ring is like a softball. This is easy. We can do The Ring in our sleep. Naomi Watts is a reporter whose, I believe, niece dies mysteriously, and she investigates it and finds out there's this videotape that if you watch it in seven days, you just fucking die. And nobody knows how, but Lord, if you're not going to find out over the next hour and 55 minutes. The opening of this movie is fucking perfect, by the way. It's a good opening. And you know why? Because they spent the money and got good actors. Those two roles, realistically, should not be that important because they're not really in the movie that much. But the setup is so important. And the one girl, Amber Tamblin, is fucking fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my god, it's Amber Tamblin. Before we get deep into this, you've seen the original, right? No, never have, actually. You've never never seen the Japanese one? No, I bet. And you know why? I'm a little afraid of two things. I'm a little afraid of one that it's going to make me dislike the ring for some reason. I don't know why it just is. The other thing about it is I've only seen like stills from it and it kind of freaks me out a little bit. Not for nothing, but the girl coming out of the TV in the original is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not doing it. I don't like it. You know what the original doesn't have though? One of the top five moments of overacting from an actor in a movie. This movie has it. And you know the beautiful thing is you don't even know who I'm talking about. Yeah, it could be anyone. You want to you want to throw out a guess, and if you nail it, I'll do the impression. Brian Cox when he's about to kill himself. My wife was never supposed to have a child. <laughs> Might be the funniest <laughs> delivery of a line I've ever heard from Brian Cox. He's so good in this movie for like three minutes. Naomi Watts fucking crushes in that. Like I mean, we've talked about it. And by the way, that guy you're being a dick to is Martin Henderson. He was also in. Oh, he's in Smoke and Aces for a small part. He's good. All right, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I can't. Get you can tell him he's in literally anything, and I'd be like, okay, I guess. Would you believe he's in um, a movie that I wanted to pair with? Um, what was that movie where, like, Cary Grant's flying through Africa or whatever it is? Only I'm never going to get where it is. It's right. not Africa. It's South America. I know. I'm never going to get that right. Only angels have wings. Oh, well, he's in the movie I paired with that, Flyboys. <laughs> I'll say this. Say what you will. He's actually good as Noah, but yes, in that scene, he does kind of suck. He's not good. It's not good. Ugh. I mean, what's this movie about? What, do you know what you know what it's about? Yeah, we told them. I mean, watch the video. Watch the video. By the way, I don't know if we talked about talking about this, but best special feature on a DVD, hands down. Yeah. No, we talked about it last we talked about it last week. Ugh. Pop in your DVD of the ring and hit six 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 and then the enter button. You'll see what happens. Yeah, it's fun. What's your favorite scene or scare? I mean, I think the opening is like maybe one of the strongest openings to a horror movie because 
you are fucking in. Like, it's like, it's like, yeah, guess what? This is a real thing, and you're going to have to contend with that. Other than that, you know, actually, you know who we haven't really given credit to in this movie, to be fair? And we've talked about a lot of people. David Dorfman as Aiden is actually, like, really strong in this movie at moments. You're, you are correct. Yeah, he plays Rachel's kid and Noah's kid. He's almost annoying at one point, but, like, he actually dials it back a little bit. The moment at the end where you find out, like, because let's be honest, every horror movie has that one thing that, like, then it turns and you're like, oh, shit. With the moment where he says, like, oh, you let her out. This is not good. Like, you, she's the fucking worst. Are you kidding me? You can't do that. She's supposed to be in the well. She's evil. Like, she's evil personified. You set her free. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And like, then we find out this is like, you actually, that what I love about that is because that then leads to, you actually get to see what kills these people. And it's like, it's a little girl coming out of a TV and she fucks your day up. I'll say it though, favorite scare. It gets me every time. When they are, when Rachel and her sister are talking and she goes, I don't know what would do that to someone's face. It just hard cuts to Jenna Elfman in the closet, fucked up looking. Scares me every time. It's good. It's so um, quick, too. I, I timed it. I was like, it's on the screen for like two seconds. Yeah. The movie is good. I think Gore Verbinski is a pretty a pretty good director. I think the thing I have with this movie is it kind of... It's made at the exact last moment it could have been made. Because it's all about uh, tape. and vi- Like videotape. And like duplicating videotape. And like tracking and stuff like that. Which is just like... Like, 2004, I don't think you could have gotten away with that. That's fair. would have been, like, videotapes still? That's fair. I agree with you on that. This is his third film, and I've only seen his first movie. I've never seen The Mexican, but I've seen Mouse Hunt. This does feel like his smoothest movie to date at that point. He does Pirates right after this, and then it just, it all goes away because he just keeps doing pirate movies. And you know what? Fuck it, I'll say it. You know what his underrated masterpiece is? It's The Lone Fucking Ranger. You keep saying that. No, it is. Best believe if we get westerns next time, we're doing the Lone Ranger. It's just, it's just gonna happen. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna do the Lone Ranger and Jonah Hex. I'll teach you Hex versus Severin Alien Red Predator Requiem will look like. I'll teach you that lesson with westerns. What do you think of that? The line's gone awfully quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder why. <laughs> All that being said. Quick, before I ask the next one, did you know that the producer off this offered this movie to David Lynch to direct, but he turned it down? So there's a girl in a TV? No! You put girls on TV! That's my theory. <laughs> it's just David Lynch, like, for some reason, he's like, like, it's not weird enough for him. Like, it's just like, he sees it from such a simplistic angle. He's like, no! The girls are on TV! You don't put them in a TV! No! And just walks off. <laughs> I love David Lynch. I think his version of this movie would have been terrible. <laughs> oh, oh, I think he would have gotten noted to death. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree with you. When, when was the first time you saw this? Whew. I saw this in theaters, actually. Seems like a good movie to see in theaters. This is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen in theaters. I think, I think if I were to really reach back and look through all the movies I've seen in theaters... This is in the top five scariest movies I've ever seen in theaters. There's another one coming up that is definitely in that conversation. Might be even number one. But yeah, it's fucking terrifying. There's, I'll say this too. I saw this like eight months later on video with my mom and at home. Still fucking scary. This movie still has moments that are fucking terrifying because he does this thing where like 
he lets you take like two steps too many and you kind of stumble and that's when he fucking scares you. Yeah. What I remembered of the movie was that it was fairly scary. What I didn't remember is that it take it waits. It like lulls you into it. Yeah. And that hits really, you. It really, really does. What's your favorite scene or scare? Favorite scene or scare? Funniest, unintentionally funniest scene is Samara gets a bag put over her head. I don't know why. It just makes me laugh. It's not funny. But there's just something about the way that woman sells that moment where I'm just like, fuck, that's funny to me. But, I mean, favorite scare might have to be the opening sequence. Like, they they ratchet that tension like crazy. Yeah, that's probably the best scene in the movie. Yeah, on which part? Scene, yeah, on which part? Scene. The mom putting the bag over the girl's head, or no, no, no. the opening scene, you, you dink. I mean, yeah, you're probably right, but the bag over the head scene is so funny because they do a big wide shot of it at one point, and she's just got her in the chokehold, and you're just like, that sucks so hard. Also, too, because I think that moment really upset my mom because, like, my mom didn't see it coming because there's such that nice moment of she goes, things will get better, Samara, bag over the head, down a well, and it's like, well, no wonder that little girl's pissed off. It deserves to be on this list because it was a huge cultural phenomenon. Everyone's heard of the ring. Fuck, wasn't it? had a ton of sequels. It spawned the fucking... two sequels, and both are really bad. Really bad. The Ring 2 should have been called The Ring 2 Bling Bling, like, because they must have paid them so much money. It spawned the J-Horror remake Renaissance. Deep Water, Pulse, it's not Japanese, but movies Shudder and One Miss Call. One Miss Call might be Korean. Shutter is Taiwanese, but God, it spawned a wave call of... has one of the worst fucking posters of all time. It's a terrible, it's a terrible, it's terrible, yeah. It's no, like right. something it's with terrible. a cell phone with a mouth attached. It it's It's like so three hard. mouths, uh, like heads merging it. It's bad. It's real bad. It's so fucking um, bad. I fucking hate most of these, but The Ring did it right. The Ring did it right. The thing is, is because uh, The Grudge is the other big one. Oh, fuck off the, the grudge. The grudge is good. Shut up. Junon's good. The original's good. Um, no, no, I'm not. I'm not talking about Junon. I'm talking about the grudge. The grudge is okay. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe one of these. I don't think I've actually ever seen Junon. Junon is great because it's just random people getting owned by a ghost. <laughs> oh, you've kind of sold me on it now. I mean, I am um, way too high to watch it tonight. We're watching a very funny comedy later. Yeah, none of the remakes are as good as The Ring. Yeah, that's um, the thing. It really crushes the concept of just, like, getting it right at the right moment. And because it was it was the filmmakers, the original Japanese filmmakers were making so much money having their movies remade, you started to see them produce movies that had, like, these high concepts that could be easily remade by American people. That's just, like, where One Miss Call kind of comes in, where, like, the concept's really good, but if you actually watch the Korean One Miss Call, it, like, fucking goes off a rail at the end it goes so it goes nuts it gets real weird that's why it should be on the list honestly you know just to save you a question it was a cultural phenomenon that's a pretty good way to put it actually yeah it's big it's a big deal i mean it's also really well done too it's like fucking terrifying it It is, and you know what the other thing is too you want you want to hear this as it as well it's a pg-13 movie 
Yeah. yeah. That movie's not fucking R. That movie's PG-13. That movie's scary as shit. Like, I'll say it. That movie's fucking scary the first time you watch it. It gets a little less scary because you kind of remember where shit is, but there's still moments, like... And it's still just, like, insanely well done. It feels like kind of the way what Scream was, where it's like, we're going to put some money fucking behind this. We're going to get Naomi Watts. That woman is an Oscar nominee. What would you pair this with? What would I pair this with? You know what? I mean, I had to go through it, so people who haven't seen this have to go through it, too. Watch Ring 2. That's that's on you. No, watch Ringu. No, no, I'm sure Ringu is the correct answer. I haven't seen it. I can't recommend it. So I'm saying, you know what? Watch Ring 2. You, I had to go through it, so do you. I was so crushed at how bad the Ring 2 is. It's directed by the original director of the Ring. Uh, of Ringu, I mean. Why do you think that failed? It's a bad movie and a terrible concept. <laughs> Like, Samara wants to be her daughter now? Is that what it was? Don't watch The Ring 2. Don't do not do it. I guess watch Ringu. Listen to him. He seems to know what he's talking about. Don't do it. Don't do it. Buy the Arrow box set of all the, new, all the Japanese movies and watch those, because they're, they're at least... some of Most of them are not good, but at least they're more interesting. I'll tell you this. It rings. Jesus Christ. When do you think we're going to get the Australian horror remake renaissance? I mean, they had their exploitation explosion in the 70s, so then. Have I they guess. done anything recently? Baba Duke, right? Anything else from this the decade Nightingale? that we're talking about? Oh, from this decade? Yeah. Oh, yeah, actually. <laughs> Holy <laughs> Christ, that took forever. I'm sleepy, Ben. I'm sleepy boy. I'll carry you through number one. <laughs> Take a little napper snapper. This Australian film is the debut of writer-director Joel Anderson and is loosely in the found footage genre. Now, don't leave yet. Don't leave. Found footage is a very important aspect of this time, especially after the smash success of a little movie called Paranormal Activity. This movie had come out in the wake of that, but was actually much less in the vein of Paranormal Activity and more in the vein of a, like, docudrama. Um, and kind of shot like a documentary would be at this time period. It's, it's very of the era. From 2008, and centering on what happened to Alice Palmer and her family in the wake of her death, shot in the great country of Australia... Lake Mungo. The autopsy was performed on the Monday, the 27th. Then the coroner released the body on the Tuesday, the 28th. It was very strange spending Christmas Day with the family up there while Alice lay alone in the morgue. I don't know, it was just like I hadn't seen her for a week or anything, like... Yeah, it didn't feel real. Death takes everything eventually. It's the meanest, dumbest machine there is, and it just keeps coming, and it doesn't care. There's nothing else to know about it, really.
I first met Ray when um, June brought him home for dinner the night of her first consultation. And uh, yeah, I'm completely indifferent to psychics. I don't really have a position on them at all. I don't really want them to come round for dinner, mind you, but you know, I didn't want to upset June either. He was a pleasant sort of a bloke. He wasn't ooky spooky at all. And I was on my best behaviour. A few days later, maybe uh, maybe a week later, I suggested to the family that we hold a seance. June was really keen, but I remember Russell just flat out refused. I think Matthew finally talked his dad around. Matthew, how did you feel about having a seance held in your house? Um, at the time, I was actually kind of uh, interested, sort of curious. I don't think Dad was uh, thrilled about the idea. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought uh, it would be interesting. And um, I suggested we film it. And um, I recorded it just with our uh, video camera, which is the PC9. I think we all thought that the seance was a failure. Um, Ray didn't really come up with anything, with kind of with any signs or anything. So um, after about an hour or so, we called it quits. And um, it wasn't until the next day that um, uh, Matthew was reviewing the, um, the footage that uh, there was a, an image of Alice. footage was um, completely different to the hallway footage. That'll edit together, right? Oh yeah, um, I've already got some plans for it. Put some rousing music behind it. Probably the Australian National Anthem. Do you remember what I texted you right before I told you now goodnight? Um, I'm watching Mungo. Yeah, you said Lake Mungo might be fucking amazing. I wrote, oh fuck you, is Lake Mungo fucking amazing? What the fuck did you come across this? heard about it on another podcast that no longer you can no longer listen to um all of the episodes were scrubbed from the internet but it was a podcast called reloading the canon and the idea was to take movies and movies that people might not have heard of and be like these should be a part of like the film canon like if we're making a new film canon and it was hosted by uh isabel arf and ross briggs and it was a great podcast and i listened to every episode why can't you find it because they uh, scrubbed it because it was causing too much bandwidth, I think, to pay for. And they just took it from the internet. So you just, like, there's no copies of it anywhere? No. Wild. I, I think, get, I think you if you email, you can email, you can try and email Isabel, and she might send you the <laughs> the podcast, but hmm. uh, good luck with that. <laughs> Why? Are these two comedians or something? What is this? No, this they're, is fascinating they're film critics. The, the, they're film critics that they only did like a couple. Oh, like okay. Now, now you're making 16, more sense. 17 episodes. And like oh, the last one. 17 up. episodes. Yeah. It, was, it, was like a, it wasn't like a huge backlog of episodes. Oh, okay. Okay. They talked about a lot of stuff. Um, this was one of them. Um, another one they did was like August Underground, which is a fucking horrifying film. Um, but this one. I think Isabel and my like film 
Chase kind of lineup. And so a lot of times when she would go to bat for like a like either a movie that people hate, like uh, Gem and the Holograms, which is a movie I love, or another movie after last season, which is another movie people just absolutely despise that I also love. I would kind of like listen to like what she liked about it and be like, okay, all in on that. And one of the first episodes was a movie called Lake Mungo. And the way that both of them were just like, this is one of the best horror movies I've ever seen. I was like, I got to see that. And I agree. This movie terrified me the first time I saw it. Back again four years ago when I was watching a bunch of horror movies like Martyrs. Martyrs isn't horrifying. Martyrs is just, it sucks. Like you're so fucking mad at Martyrs for 97 minutes. And then you hit minute 98 and you're like, okay, fucking brilliant. I'll give it to you. But like with this movie, this movie has one moment. Yeah. The opening lines are, I feel like something bad is going to happen to me. Like it hasn't happened yet, but it will. Also, this this whole thing about you listening to this podcast, you you fucking coy little bitch. Don't you think I see what's going on here, okay? I see through your lies. A girl gets murdered named Palmer. I see what you're doing here. I know exactly what this is for you. This is Tyler Bait. They're just baiting the water by a girl yeah. named a girl with the last name of Palmer who gets murdered and you get to investigate it. You say found footage. I don't think that's fair. This is shot like a produced documentary. <laughs> It is. It's but amazingly it uses found well footage. shot. So therefore, it is a found footage movie. It's true, but it uses it in the most like, you know nothing is going to happen to the person talking about the documentary, I guess. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Like, it's we- like you're weirdly on a second level of safe. Like if it's like, it's like, what if the ghost get, gets into that room? It's like, oh, it won't get into this one. It's like, how do you know? It's like ghost proof. It's like, you're almost like a weirdly like second level back from it. So you can watch it from being like, okay, I know who's going to make it in this. Cause you see the people talking during the documentary. Yeah. The thing is, is that you never are worried for anyone in the documentary for anything bad to happen to them. Cause you're not like expecting something to happen. I mean, it never, the movie never attempts to go that way. But what the movie does do is just like, get into your head and get under your skin with these like terrifying ideas of like knowing something bad's going to happen to you and like not being able to stop it or like being a parent and having your child die and then finding out like they led a secret life with like and had like we're doing things with like your neighbors and stuff like that oh boy oh boy what you want to talk about a scene that just like you're like woo. Oh, it's, I won't it's, lie to you. I thought this movie might be real at one point. It's gross. It's real gross. It's gross, upsetting. but like you're just like you're like, damn, that is some like cerebral horror as like a parent. Yeah. Wow. Good job on that dude's part. This I is incredibly loved... well directed, and like everyone it's... in it. That's the other thing. It's Australian. You've never seen any of these people. It kind of feels a little more real. Yeah. It's incredibly well done. You couldn't um, do this, is the thing. That's the thing that de- that would ruin it, is they'd put people in it, and you'd be like, I recognize that guy from something. Yeah. The people who played the act, like the, the parents, like they weren't big name actors in Australia either. Like um, I think the the woman who played Alice like went on to do some small Australian stuff. The dad is like He's like a stage actor. Like they're not people that you would notice from Australian films, even if you are in Australia. So 
I think it's interesting that like they cast those people. And I think the dad is incredible. Like he gives like this speech about like them exhuming the body where it's just like, yeah, you just hope that it could be like the possibility that it's not your daughter, that it happened to someone else's daughter. Like it's happened to be someone. Oh else's yeah. Daughter. Oh it's, yeah. That's, no, it's, it's like it, beautiful and like terrifying. Cause like that idea sucks. <laughs> that's so upsetting that, that thought. But the movie kind of, like, puts you in that mind space of grief and then starts to, like, slowly feed you these, like, really terrifying ideas. Like, what might have happened to Alice? It's not a really a scary movie in the same sense of what you're thinking. It's more of a movie that just kind of mildly unnerves you the entire time. Because mm-hmm. you're like, well, I'm not there. What the fuck is this going to hurt me? Like, it's not. Like, this isn't one of those things. But, like, you're just mildly unnerved by it because you're like, the fuck is this keep going? Like, it keeps going. You know what it is? That was the thing I noticed about it. Because at one point I was like, I don't know if I like this. And then at one point I realized, I'm like, oh, the scariest thing about this movie is it just keeps fucking going. Yeah. Like, it just like keeps getting just keep fucking happening. worse. And, like, you realize it's not just because they keep finding out more shit about her. It's because the haunting is getting worse. Mm-hmm. But it's also, like quietly one of the funniest movies when you find out that the picture that like starts this whole thing is just fucking bullshit it's the funniest thing you've ever it's seen. very funny oh my and god the brother realistic. is so good you know what i have a new question to ask you and i'm not gonna do this every podcast i'm just gonna do it when i actually like want to ask him something that i think matters to him if you had to put this in the hands of an American filmmaker. And I'm like giving you carte blanche. Because I have an idea for this. For this movie. I wonder who you would pick. You can, you can pick anyone. No answer is um, wrong. There's a documentary filmmaker. By the name of Robert Graham. Made like Kate Plays Christine. And Brisby 17. Who I'd just be like. Just do whatever you want with this. Just like think of something. Go nuts. I would give it to like a someone who really wants to do something weird in the documentary film space. Okay. It has to be low budget and it has to be a documentary. So I don't know why you would remake it if you were just going to make it into a movie. Not not what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying. Let's see. Let's go on to the... Well, we've kind of talked what it's about. There's, there's a haunting. There and is a haunting. You can't really tell anyone who's in it because that's the other thing that works. It's also that. When... And you for and you talked about you first saw this because of this podcast. Yeah, four years ago. I guess that takes us on to favorite scene or scare. Well, there's really only one scare, and it's terrifying. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! When they pause it, you're like, I don't really know what that is, but fuck me if that's not the scariest thing I've ever seen. Uh, I watched it with my girlfriend, and she was on the couch, and she was like, No, 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 and then like, like I like just put my hand in front of her eyes, and I was just like, I'll just, we'll just. I'll let you know when it's done. And it, you, I was you like, say oh that, god. but in your mind, you're like, I'm a hero. <laughs> but like, I was also like, oh my god, that scene is so much longer than I remember it being. Is this? Um, we're, we're talking about the same scene, right? We're talking about the cell phone footage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whoo, boy! When that happens, I was just like, that is fucking upsetting. I don't even know what that is. It doesn't even really look that scary, but fuck me if that's not upsetting for some reason. And I was like, when I was watching like the first part, they, there's a shot of like Alice's body and face, 
and they spend so long on it. And I was like, why are they spending so long on this? I don't remember really that being important. And then it comes back at the end. I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> Do you see what they pulled her out of the lake in? In what? She was wrapped in plastic. She was wrapped in plastic. I do love that. You think Palmer has to be on purpose, right? I think so. I mean, that's gotta be. That seems way too coincidental. Yeah. It also feels very referential to Picnic at Hanging Rock. I don't know if you've ever heard of. No, you've told me about this movie, though. Yeah. It's a classic Australian movie. A bunch of girls go missing. No one ever knows why. That's what that movie's about? Yeah. Holy shit. Based on a book. They just go missing. That's, that's the whole movie? Well, no, it's not the whole movie. It's about the people who are close to them dealing with the loss of these people that and like that's the, the mystery movie? surrounding them. Holy yeah. shit. That's wild. It the, I mean the book They just go missing. That's that is fucked they up. They go for a picnic and they, they never go to come a, back. They, they go to a cliffside and they never come back. And people are like, Well, they couldn't have gone anywhere. They don't their bodies don't wash up. It's like what what happened to them? Were they taken by someone? We didn't see anybody. Wild. All right, I might be watching that at some point. Good movie. Sounds like it. Sounds fucked up, actually. Like, without actually... Because I assume you don't see anything. We don't know. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a, it's a great horror movie from the, the great 70s Australian horror period. Great, great. And when we get to the 70s in three years, but until then, you'll have to keep it in your pants. They just go missing. This is so fucked up. What a wild concept. It's so simple, too. Like, that's the part that pisses me off. It's like, well, yeah, they just go fucking missing. Like, of course they do. The woman who wrote the book said that she wrote it in, like, a week. She literally says, I was in a fugue state. I don't remember writing it. Well, yeah, like like Stephen King. I, I, like, wrote it, and it, it just was done. And the people who like around her was like, yeah, they, she would just be in her room writing. And when we try to talk to her, like she just wouldn't look at us. She would just continue hmm. writing, which is like, that's insane. Like she was possessed by something. <laughs> Maybe, but it sounds like she wrote a hell of a book. Outside of the scare, though, I will ask you this: What is your favorite scene? Like I think I, I mentioned it, the dad talking about exhuming the body and wishing it was anybody else's kid. That's pretty dark. It's heartbreaking. Fucking absolutely heartbreaking. Other than that, I would say the like quote unquote like proof of Alice's ghost. So that's what I wanted to ask you. Are the two ghosts and like the ghost and the actual girl meeting in the middle? What do you mean? Isn't Alice the one filming that footage? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what's going on, right? Her and the ghost are like, that's the meeting point where they cross each other. That's not a ghost, though. What is that? It's her. That's what I'm saying. It's her ghost. Yeah, yeah. It's her from the. It's her in the future. That's what I'm it's saying. Her. Okay, so the timelines are crossing at that moment. Like that's the only yeah. time they really interact. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Okay. Yeah, because it's like that's her in the future. It's coming. It's just like this is the moment in time where the two cross each other, and Alice starts to head what, from what I would assume is towards the land of the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, towards her fate, which is to be drowned. Yeah, towards her fate. Exactly. That's You get it. That's exactly what I mean. But yeah, okay. Yeah, no, the father thing is great. The father, when he talks about what he wants to do, the neighbor who fucked his daughter, you're like, wow, that is some shit going on right there. That's the fucking Suntown murder those boys. Yeah, pretty much. And the other thing is, like, it just keeps getting worse. The ending, I think, is incredibly depressing because it's it cross-cuts to the medium 
in the movie. There's a psychic in the movie, guys. This is kind of, oh, yeah. It's, that guy's a, a piece of work. It kind of cuts him interviewing Alice. Oh, and yeah. Alice is talking about her mom being in a room, and she can kind of feel her presence. But the mom chooses to leave her and shut the door. And kind of, it's like the end. And then it cuts to the mom... In a, in a session with a medium saying that she no longer feels Alice's presence anymore. And it's just this, like, for me, like this really profound moment of, like, what grief feels like for someone who has lost someone and what the anxiety of your own mortality feels like for people who, like, have to deal with that constantly and how it the movie can kind of shift between those two ideas literally within like an edit and it's a beautiful ending and it's it's a very upsetting ending just know that it's yeah that uh, ending is beautiful yeah yeah i agree with you on that i don't want to spoil too much about like mungo because you should everybody should watch like mungo it's fucking great it it's pg-13 right it there's i don't even i think there might be like i mean there is a sex scene, I just realized. A, it's kind of... It, they cut around it, but yeah. God, when you find out, too, like, just all the shit about the brother. Good movie, like, Mungo. It's number two. Number two. I mean, it, and I'll say this, too. It's, like, a smart number two. That's the thing. That's the thing I've always thought about number twos. Number twos have to be a little smarter than the number one. Yeah. Like, it's just got to be something that people be like, yeah, like, I know why it's number one. I know why number one is number one, but respect to number two, like, I guess is the way I would put it. Yeah, I think I always like to put number two, like number two, have it be like something maybe people haven't seen. Yeah, that's kind of a good way to do it. What's this movie? Why is this the second of a decade? Yeah. Yeah. And why should this be on the list? It's at number two. It was not number two on your list, though. It was number one on my list. It's a movie that I still think about all the time. It's a movie that, like, haunts me. It's also a found footage movie. Sort of, vaguely, a found footage movie. Um, and Might be the best constructed found footage movie ever. I'm a, I kind of ride or die for the found footage genre. I think there's stuff like this that you can pull out of it. And I think found footage gets a lot of shit because it was, like, you could cheaply make movies on a budget for a few years and it was like the easiest way to do it. And I don't think it deserves the like snot nose, like looking down our nose at it nature that a lot of found footage gets. But that's just my opinion. And it's a, it was important in this decade because Paranormal Activity fucking kicked down the doors. <laughs> and everything became found footage for a couple years after that. So I think it's important to kind of have a movie like this that is technically found footage and also one of the best movies of the decade, in my opinion. What would you pair this with? This is an easy one for me. It's a movie that almost made my list and I was forced onto the 10. It is a movie called Nori, The Curse. It's a Japanese movie that's also found footage and hard sell. Watch this movie, it's on Shutter. Just like pieced together with like document, like a documentary filmmaker making a movie with like NHK clips, with like interviews and like old documentary footage. It's like kind of cobbled together, and it feels like someone like editing something together to like make sense of an of, of an incident that happened. That's an and interesting sell. 
it also has some of the scariest moments in it. And if Ben watches it and wants to do an emergency episode, we should talk about Nori the Curious because it fucking rules. Had I remembered it, it would be on this list for sure. All right. Not tonight. I'm watching it, but maybe maybe in a couple of days because, yeah, not not while I'm high. No, um, no, God, no. Please do. No. I don't watch it while you're yeah. high. No. And I'll tell you something. Guys, little safety tip. Never get high while watching a horror movie. It's just usually going to be a bad time. And it certainly was a couple days ago for our number one, because our number one <laughs> concerns a group of women who rejoin after tragic events to go cave diving what they discover in the depths of an unknown cavern is more than just tight spaces. One of the best horror films, if not the best horror film of the 2000s, Neil Marshall crafts 90 minutes of sheer perfection. This is the movie directed by Neil Marshall, The Descent. I fucking fuck, fuck, fuck. Sarah, you have to calm down. And the only way you're gonna do that is to breathe, yeah? Okay, breathe, slowly. Just keep breathing. Fucking I, I can't. Uh, I can't die. I can't fucking breathe. Uh, listen to me. Just, just listen to my voice. Sarah, I'm coming. I'm coming back. Okay. Okay. Sarah. Okay. Listen to me. Keep breathing. Okay. Hey. 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 Okay. Okay. Okay, look at me, Sarah. Hey? What are you so worried about, Sarah? Look at me. Okay, breathe. Breathe, okay? Hey, 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 listen to me. Listen to me. What are you afraid of? What are you so afraid of? You can move. Sarah, look at me. Look at me. Listen, the worst thing that could have happened to you has already happened, okay? And you're still here. This is just a poxy cave, and there's nothing left to be afraid of, I promise. Okay? Okay? Hey? Hey, listen, listen. Listen to me, you love this one. You love this one. How'd you give Eleven an orgasm? Good on, don't say it. How'd you give Eleven an orgasm? What did you do? You took his citrus. Okay, that's better, come on. Okay, okay. All right, we're gonna move now. Take hold of my arm, all right? I'm gonna move slowly, that's it. Grab my arm. Okay, okay, come on. Just slowly, okay? okay? Okay, come on. The rope bag. I forgot the rope bag. Okay. Okay. Okay, fuck the rope bag. Okay, move now. This fucking is so terrifying. It's scary watching it on a laptop by myself. <laughs> hey, let me ask you something. You yeah. know what sucks? It's caves. Caves. You know what sucks harder than caves? The movie The Cave? Cave goblins. <laughs> cave goblins suck harder than just being in a cave. I'll be honest with you. That movie does a great trick of being like, boy, it sucks being in a cave. You know what sucks harder? Cave goblins. I don't know what those things are. Those are the most upsetting fucking creatures I've ever seen. I know Neil Marshall's a big fan of Italian horror movies, so I gotta think he's seen uh, Alien 2 uh, on Earth. You've talked about this movie. 
it has this it ends with like a spelunking scene and i'm just like wondering if like he saw it and was like <laughs> like not inspired by it because i don't think he is i'm not saying he's cribbing anything i just think it's kind of funny <laughs> when he's like i was inspired by italian horror films for this movie and i'm like oh were you <laughs> By the way, you want to talk about a guy who just has never done better than this movie. He's never done better, but Dog Soldiers is also really good. Ooh. Dog Soldiers actually just got a Blu-ray. Yeah, release. it was on DVD for a really long time. I'm glad it got a Blu-ray. Doomsday is like, okay. I remember Doomsday kind of being a big letdown because people thought that was the next movie from him. He's got, I mean, I know you don't like it, but he's got two really good episodes of Game of Thrones under his belt. That's a pretty hard, that's a pretty tall order. But that is television and not a movie. I know, I know. I know how you feel. I've heard Hellboy is just a fantastic miss. <laughs> it's a it's a fucking swing and a miss, I'll tell you what. I don't know what The Reckoning is, but color daddy interested. The Reckoning, it, history slash horror. Uh, I'm into it. When does this come out? It premiered at Fantasia, which does not bode well. Because release date December fourth, twenty twenty. Um, I was, I was watching people talk about movies that come out of Fantasia, and I didn't hear anything about it. But it is currently premiering at Beyond Fest, so maybe I will hear people talk about uh this movie a little bit. I would like to know more. Anyway, The Descent. Yes. There are women who are close to each other. Something really bad happens to a, a husband and a daughter. And then those women rejoin a year later and go cave diving. And that's really where the movie begins is the, the morning idea, of. The idea is that they go out to the specific place that they've done before. Right. That doesn't. That's oh, like they're, they're going to dive a, a cave that like people have done before is what you're saying. No, no, no they've done, they've done it before. I, I think they're doing like a retreat in like the Virginia foothills that they've like done before. Right. I, I think so. Well, that's not really true. Okay. Well, they're in the Virginia foothills. I know that much. Well, okay. No. So what happens is this, they go to dive a cave that they're told is a certain cave. However, the leader of the group or the person who planned the whole thing, Juno there's really only two people in this movie you need to know, to be fair, if, if we're going to talk about this movie. You need to know Sarah and Juno. Those are really the only two people you need to know. There are a bunch of other women who are also really good in the movie, no offense, but the main premise revolves around these two. Sarah is lost her husband and child after a horrific car accident. By the way, you want to talk about a scene that comes out of nowhere? That truck comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yes, it does. Actually, to be fair, I saw it coming. I mean, no one else was paying attention, clearly. So, you know, on them, I guess. I don't know. It makes good use of the of the of a fucking horror movie trip I hate, which is like car driving, and then you see a car coming, and it hits the other car. Yeah, that's fair. I hate and it. <laughs> Sarah survives, and a year later, she goes on a camping trip with Juno and all these other girls, and they're going to go cave diving in this cave that people have done before, just to kind of like get her. It's kind of a how Sarah got her groove back kind of thing. Like they're trying yeah. to help her like grieve in a way where it's like be around people. Don't be by yourself kind of thing. And Juno is leading this camping trip. And it's kind of implied that Juno may have fucked her husband, I guess, is what I'm supposed to take away from it's it. It's not implied. It, it comes out later. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. It does come out later, doesn't it? Um, and yeah, Juno, Juno fucked was... Sarah's husband. Sarah's kind of suspicious of it, I think. 
I think Sarah kind of knew, and then that truck came and took Sarah's mind off of it. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. And they go to this cave, and Juno kind of lies to all of them and says, this is a cave people have done before. It's not. It's an unknown cave. The cave that they had done has, has been done before. It was just where they were going, they couldn't exit back out of. Like, she took them down a weird way. That was like, she was like, we're doing something new. But like, the where they started was like, Oh, okay. Fair enough. I see what you mean. Oh, okay. So you're saying it's the same cave system. It's just they started from a different place that no one yeah. ever had done. Okay. And then she was like, like halfway through it, she's like, I took us down this like route. No one's done this before. Which not a good thing to spring oh, on people. Oh, fuck her. I would have fucking killed her right there. Sorry, like I know that's fucked up to say, but I would have fucking killed her right there. Because the thing about spelunking is there are certain aspects where you can like get through it going one way, but you can't get through it going back exactly if it makes sense no it does like you can go forward but you can't go back best press on hot take fuck that oh i I would fucking kill her seriously if any of my friends did that i would say if we are not out of here in the next 48 hours i'm gonna kill you like just like and just be like in ps i'm i have a watch on i'm going to be keeping track of this not just that, I just think the idea of, like, going into a fucking cave. No, thank you. You claustrophobic? Because I'm slightly claustrophobic, and not this movie. Mm-mm. No, I'm just like, I'm not, I mean, I am a little bit, but, like, no. Oh, <laughs> just God. like, why would you ever do this? No, never would. Anyway, I was wrong. I said Virginia. They're in North Carolina. So, you know, it's, it's the Virginia of Southern Virginia. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've talked about what it's about and who's in it. When did you first see it? I saw it in theaters with my buddy Nathan. Nice. Yeah, we saw this and like we like we both walked out and I said, that was good, right? And he goes, that might be the best horror movie I've ever seen. Like we were both kind of like floored by it. And nobody was in the theater too. It was fucking dope. Oh, that's good. I feel like this movie, just so everyone knows, this was on, I think, close to the top for both of us. I think it was your number one. I think it was my number like five. I deleted all the text you have. I do, my text all got deleted up to a certain point. You have the two lists. You'll have to send them to me so we can so we can do something like so we can look to see awesome, what we didn't yeah. put on. Yeah. Yeah, it was your number one, and it was in the top five for me. So yeah, it's you really like this movie. Yeah, it's it's incredibly well put together. What's your favorite scene or scare? Ooh, I can tell you mine. I mean. I mean, the scare might be, like, when that girl's kind of trapped. Like, she really sells hyperventilating in that moment. Um, uh, that's good. Um, yeah. I'm going to tell you I'm gonna tell you mine right now. Yeah. I don't know the names of the people, but it's when one of the girls starts freaking out and swinging her pickaxe everywhere. And when she just fucking hits another girl in the, like, back that's, of the throat. Yeah, that's Juno. And Juno hits the girl in the throat who pretty much called her on her shit and said, you fucking left. And, and you kind of don't know if like, Juno did it on purpose or if it was an accident. Anyway, I love that. It's pretty on accident. I would say like, I gotta be fair. She was fucking beating two of those fucking like cave goblins to death. She realistically wasn't really thinking she was blood raged. Like you can argue that in hindsight, maybe somewhere in the deep recesses of her mind. Yes. But I'm going to give Juno an out on this one. That being said, she does attempt to cover it up. If she had just been straightforward with Sarah and be like, I accidentally killed Beth. 
like my fucking bad. Like I was beating a cave goblin to death and then another one came at me and then I thought she was a third. Like, I think she would have gotten out. Like, I think that, but I think it's because she tries to cover it up, her hubris, that fucking Sarah does not take that. By the way, there's a real turn in this movie. You want to talk about a Brett Austin heel turn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I, again, my mom loves horror movies, and so she watched, like, that all of the so ones. That is so cute, by the way. I don't know why, but yeah. that's adorable to me. It's one of the things that we bonded on very, very early, is, like, her love of horror movies, my love of horror movies, and so. Would your mom ever come on here and talk about it? Oh, uh, maybe. So, I think I've seen pretty much all of these movies, except for, like, Mungo, like, around the time that they came out, because my mm. mom was just, like, renting The Descent, and, like, throwing on The Descent. And yeah, like I, that movie caused some weird dreams when I was like 13, 14. Like, whoa, <laughs> don't like being trapped in caves. So that's definitely why I first saw it. Well, because um, it's a fucking like, here's the thing. Like the first half of that movie is incredibly like realistic. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, this, this is fucking possible. Like this can happen to you. There's no other real way to put it. Like, this this totally can happen to you. Like, you can get stuck in caves. And, like, it's, like, it's very real. Like, and, like, that's that's kind of the genius magic trick it pulls is then all of a sudden it introduces, like, the fucking impossible. And, like, it's somehow scarier. You're like, this sucks being in this cave. And once again, it's the idea of, like, oh, now there's cave goblins. Like, there are just these things that like just don't exist like those don't exist i i'm Mm. pretty confident in saying that but they just show up and they just start and we don't really know where they're from that's the other thing he never gives a backstory to them they just live in the earth Uh, who knows who knows you know what you know what i like to think i like to think they're like people from like prospector times who just like went into the mountain and never came out this movie feels very a piece with of three movies uh, on in my head this movie the hills have eyes and wrong turn wrong turn makes the mistake of like trying to explain where the people who the hillbilly murderers are come from but like they kind of feel like the same sort of thing where it's just like well they just kind of exist and they kill whoever they come in contact with like only the descent peak creatures are uh they're humanoids but they're much more feral we kind of answered why it should be on this list right I mean, we both had it on our list. Yeah, and it's it's incredible. Like it's, it's, it's so good. it's really good. <laughs> I I mean like I will say like I will it is it might be the scariest movie I've ever seen in a theater. Like there is something so creepy about that movie and it's just like and the thing is too, it feels like it's shot on a shoestring budget. It does not really have anything special to it. Like all of it feels real. Like the costume honestly Having those creature costumes and shooting it the way he does are the two most effective things about that movie. I think the majority of the budget went to building the cave sets. Yeah, that um, makes sense. I mean, like, and, and also the way he shoots it, you could just be sitting, like, he could just have a bunch of rocks that he moved around for certain shots. Like, yeah. it's really well done. Like, he knows um, what he wants to do. Practical effects, a lot of good blood, good gore in this. Oh, dude, you want to, I mean, we. Jo- I jokingly said the Austin Brett heel turn. When she comes out of that blood, that is it right there. She has stopped being Sarah. She has become survivor. Murder. <laughs> yeah, she's become survivor essentially. She gets out of I mean, like, I'll say it, the ending of the movie is fucking scary too. Both versions actually are scary. That's a rare treat. Which do you prefer, yeah. by the way? Which ending? Yeah. 
I prefer the UK ending, but because I have a read on it that everyone I've ever told it to tells me I'm wrong, but I don't care. It's Tell my, me which it's one not... the UK ending is. The UK ending is the one she's trapped in the cave still. Okay, I would like to hear your read on it. My my whole thing is like, no, she got like my like the ending is it's implied that she just imagined an escape. But to me, I've always thought like, no, she escaped. But the horrors of like the cave and like everything that happened in the cave is gonna like haunt her forever and traumatize her forever. The same way with like her, the death of her child is also going to haunt her forever. You think she got out of the cave? Mm-hmm. And her rewaking up in the cave is like in her mind. It's a metaphor. It's oh, like it's a the, metaphor. Okay, yeah. it's a it's metaphor. Like, so like you're metaphor saying it did her. happen. She didn't get out of the cave. Okay, so she got out of the cave, but the horrors of it will haunt her forever. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong. Like, you make a convincing point, actually, and it actually is like. It's it's a pretty good thesis statement on the movie itself because the movie itself is a metaphor for trauma. Yeah, and like how much. it deals with trauma. But yeah, I remember telling someone and they were like, "No," because like the ending is pretty clear that like she's still in the cave. And I'm like, "Well, yeah," but like also, I don't care what the movie says. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, what I think happened. Yeah, I'm interpreting this as like what I think he's trying to say as a filmmaker. What you may see is one thing, but he might be trying to go a level deeper. No, I don't think you're wrong, actually. And also, fun. also, film is subjective. You're allowed to think that's what the ending means. Like, well, also, I'm just like kind of like I'm like I don't want her to be trapped in the cave still. So like. Here's a way that that could have not happened. I mean, the shit about, like, so is just Juno dead in the car? Like, what is that shit? It's like a hallucination of Juno. I guess that's true. It's just a jump scare. I think the US ending is, like, very clearly, like, we need a sequel. Whereas the UK ending is like, there's no sequels. No sequels will happen. And then a sequel happened, and it's terrible. I've never seen the sequel. Good news, you don't have to. Oh, well, that's good, I guess. Saved me again. Well, you know what? I'm not going to watch something scary now. We'll watch The Descent too. Sure, that's not scary at all. You're probably right, as it does have, like, I think, like a 9% approval rating on Rotten I mean, Tomatoes. I'll say this, too. Here's the other thing. The trailer did not tell you cave goblins were in it. No, the trailer told you cave disaster. Yeah, and you know what the genius part is? That does happen, but also cave goblins. Yeah, what do you pair this with? What do I pair this with? An easy one for you. A layup. Well, here, I'm going to let you get the layup, and then I'll see if it sparks anything in my mind. Uh, they're from 2005. There's a movie called The Cave. Technically released before The Descent in America, but not good. <laughs> what Andy Warhol was trying to hate fuck The Descent. Uh, make a movie called The Cave. Fuck them. My mom, like, bought the DVD to The Cave... And I don't think I've ever seen it. I think I actually have seen it. I just don't remember anything about it. I know that movie probably exists. I don't think I honestly, you know what? Never thought it's I have didn't think I'd say this as soon as I would. That movie does not exist. <laughs> oh, Piper Parabo's in this? Sure. You definitely just said a name for sure. I did. Lena Headley's in it. I like how you went past Lena Headley to Piper Parabo. First of all, Piper Parabo is first build and top cast. Lena Headley's obviously what? up and coming. Well, no, what it she says. isn't. She's like fifth, fifth on build. I, on IMDb, she's first build. Well, IMDb it has goes Piper Parabo, oh. Morris Chestnut, Cole Hauser, 
Eddie, so I know all these people. This movie does exist. No, it doesn't exist. Because you literally had never heard of it before I told you about it. No, I'm pretty sure I know about Piper Parabo's The Cave. Pretty sure that was the full title. <laughs> I'm sure that's somewhere that you can verify. Um, I love that Daniel Day Kim's in it. I do Shout like Daniel Day Kim. Kim. He's good. But yeah, God, what would I pair? The, fuck, I'm, I am actually, I mean, The Cave is funny, but I'm actually like trying to think of a good movie to pair. The, you know what, honestly? You can pair, I'll put it to you this way. You can pair this with any horror movie. And, it, and it's going to be pair it, Pair it with Alien 2 on Earth. No! Not a thing. No, we're we are we're not good. going out on that. That's the thing. You know what? You know why this is number one? There's no real movie like this. <laughs> no, there really isn't. Like, there is, but, like, no movie's really done it this well. Hold on. Wait, I've got a galaxy brain pairing. Okay. Deliverance. Oh, the canoeing movie with Burt Reynolds? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, fucking yeah. genius, actually. Yeah, Deliverance. Yeah. You want to see two movies where it's an all-male cast and an all-female cast versus the elements? Yeah. The elements being uh, Hicks. And cave and goblins. Underground people. They're called cave goblins, and you'll be nice to them. Kissing goblins. Oh, they are horrifying. Get when it comes to life that. underwater, you're just like, fuck you, die. Well, Tyler, that takes us out of it. That's our top 10. I guess we should name them off again from 10 to 1. At number 10, we have Drag Me to Hell. At number 9, we have Trouble Every Day by Claire Denis. At number 8, we have The Others. At number 7, we have Let the Right One In. At number 6, we have Battle Royale. At number 5, we have The Devil's Rejects. Number 4, we have Martyrs. Number 3, we have The Ring. At number two, we have Lake Mungo. And at number one, we have The Descent. Yep, there it is. Our top ten list of horror movies of the 2000s. Next year, we'll only be doing a top five. And let's be honest, we all know what number one is. So (laughs) prepare for a boring-ass list next year. (laughs) I mean, it's so obvious, right? Can't wait to talk about Evil Ed. Oof. Ooh, maybe maybe get a Doctor's Giggles reference in here. Ugh, it's going to be a bad year. You don't know. You don't know. There's some good movies. Are there? Yeah, hey, look at the 90s again. I feel like the 90s is incredibly weak for horror. Well, we're going to talk fucking Amityville 2. Not Amityville 2. Amityville look, Time. Look. Whatever the fuck it's called. 1992. Look. It's about time. Oh my god, it's it's gotten a lot colder all of a sudden. And it's because it's time to put on your, put on your pocket and put on your cap and we're going to Head to Noir Vember. So Tyler, why don't you take this chassis and put it into second gear and tell us what we're going to be watching next week after I take a long drag off my cigarette. Noir Vember, huh? Tell these dizzy dames what they're in for next week. Okay. From 1939, written by Raymond Chandler and directed by Billy Wilder, we have the great 1939 noir, Double Indemnity. And then, following that up, we have... A underrated gem, in my opinion, from director Fritz Lang, starring Edward G. Robinson, Scarlet Street. Both movies with Edward G. Robinson. Yeah. I figured something out on the fly. Hey, look at you. You did it. I don't know what you were going for with the other one. Probably will never know. But it sounds like it's something you wanted to do. So if at some point you want a freebie, just say, hey, Ben. I got that freebie idea. I'm sure the two movies are good. I will let you do it then. 
Okay, that's my free. I've been trying to do that pairing for a long time. Yeah, just just do it. Yeah, just tell me you want to do one. I doubt I'm gonna not get some. You're pretty good at getting something out of getting movies that I'm gonna get something out of. Like I've yet to see one where I'm like, well, this feels like a failure. Like this just doesn't do anything for me. Oh, Tyler just completely fucked this up. Ooh, rough three. <laughs> now I'm not saying you ain't skirted the line at times, like. Like August Oslo 36, I'm like, well, this is just a fucking depressing. What the fuck do I want to be here for this? And then it kind of picks up at a moment, and then you're like, eh, I guess. Stick with it. That movie's good. <laughs> look, look, I'm not saying there isn't good moments to it, but there are moments where you're just like, fuck is this going? Fuck is this, man? What are you doing? This shit going. <laughs> Sit down. I'm finishing it. Don't turn it off. All right. Well, interesting. I have never seen... No, I have seen Double Indemnity, and I have not seen Scarlet Street. It is a remake of a French movie. Fritz Lang directed it? Mm-hmm. Did he need money? Nope. Mm, fair enough. Interesting. I well, don't think he did. It's just, it's just Fritz Lang doing Fritz Lang then, I guess. And it's it's, it has sound? Yeah, it's from fucking 1945. I'm, I'm not saying it's not. I just, it's just, I associate Fritz Lang with a lot of silent movies for some reason. It's one of his American movies. It's based off a French movie called Le Chaine, aka The Bitch. Do you, oh, wow. That is, that is naughty. Uh, do you have The Bitch? The Bitch is readily available on Criterion Collection, but oh, Scarlet yeah. Street, I think, is on Tubi? Scarlet Street, let's find out. By the way, Tubi's fantastic. Can we have a moment to talk about Tubi? Tubi, give us money, please. I honestly think they would be the one place I'd like to take money from if, if we could just be sponsored. I would do an ad read for Tubi. Scarlet Street's on Prime and Canopy and Tubi, and it's everywhere. Yeah. It's, Classics. It's, okay, it's, good. That's I easy. think and I might think... be in the public domain. <laughs> 49 to 59, 59 to 69, 69 to 79, 79 to 89, 89 to 99, 99 to 2009, 2009... 2019. Uh, like it's 70, but isn't that like 30 years away? What? Isn't it 100 years before something becomes public domain? I mean, the Night of the Living Dead's in public domain because someone just didn't file it. So it just went to the public domain. Huh. It's a Wonderful Life is public domain. Movies just end up in the public domain if no one claims to have the rights for them after 25 years. And yet Double Indemnity costs $3.99 everywhere you go. That sucks. It does. I got a good feeling about next week. I think it's going to be a good start to November. Yeah, I think, I think, I think my fucking coming up with something was actually not that bad. Not counting Spinal Tap and Waiting for Guffman. Like, they're all, they're all pretty much like noirs, actually. I think tradition was one of us picks noir, the other person picks new noir. Or yeah. it was you pick noir, I pick new noir because I have a deeper bench when it comes to new noir because I just I love seventies movies so much. Then I pick Clue in because Clue fucking rules. Yeah, that's right. All right, so we'll do those. I'll do the other ones for the next ones. Yeah, and then and you can do modern noir if you want. Okay. Yeah, all right, so I'll do those. For, good. Yes, well, for next week, we will be talking about Double Indemnity and Scarlet Street, two movies about noir, both starring Edward G. Robinson. I'm excited to see Scarlet Street, and I'm also going to watch the movie, potentially, that it's based on, The Bitch. No promises, though. Le, le Shaheen. Le Shaheen. Le Shaheen. 
There you go. Shine. That's not how you say it. I'm just I'm being a dumbass. It's one o'clock in the morning. I'm ready to go to sleep. Yeah, same here. But guys, you can follow us at TWGTF Pod on Twitter. You can follow me at ET Critic for the Empty Theater Critic. Is there anywhere they can follow you, Tyler? Nope, but I will plug don't go into caves. You know what, too? Just stay the fuck out of France. If these last two years have taught me anything in horror, just stay the fuck out of France. Raw martyrs trouble every day. Nothing good seems to happen in France. I'm just throwing it out there. Oh, man. I could... Man, when we do the 90s, I could try and finagle I Stand Alone on there. You get two picks. That's how it's going to work, because we have to do the Carpenter Mount Rushmore. That's going to take up a whole episode. You get two picks. You can pick whatever you want. Where they go is another matter of opinion. Definitely picking Vampires on Mars. I don't know what that that is. Not a movie. (laughs) That is not a movie. And for TWGTF, two white guys talking film, I've, of course, been your host, Ben. And I'm the premonition of your own dead body that you see on a cell phone camera that you try to bury in the sand in the Australian desert. And remember, guys, if you ever come into the video store and you see exactly what Tyler saw to you, well, that's our only Halloween decoration is just that image. And fuck me, is it upsetting? Am I right, Tyler? Seven days. I don't know how to go out. That was upsetting. It actually, like, kind of creeped me out there. Just two white guys talking film.
people like that movie. I don't understand why. Can I can I tell you why? <laughs> Say what you will. That movie promises you something that it delivers on. Freddy does in fact verse Jason. That movie does not lie to you in what its title is does presented. Jason? Did they get Jason out of hell in that movie? Right. So the opening of that movie is Freddy raises him from hell because he pretends to right. be his mother. So and yeah, the last Jason it. movie is Jason in hell. Yeah, I think so. It's not true because before Freddy versus Jason, Jason I goes know. to space. No, no, he goes to the future and goes to space. That's years from that. It's, it's, whatever, it's Jason. I, X. I don't know. Look, I look. I love Jason X. It's not good, but it's good. You know, it's fun. That's the thing. It's like. It, I love how one guy once described it. He said, this is like someone came to them and said, we are out of Jason ideas. The only thing left is we have him go to space. And then they all turned to each other and high-fived. I mean, he fought Carrie. He went to Manhattan. He then went to hell. Where else is he going to go? Space makes the only logical sense. And also they my, gave him a cool new look. That really you know, sucks. My, my favorite thing about Jason X. What's that? Uh, David Cronenberg has a cameo in it. He is the guy at the beginning. He's fantastic, too. <laughs> you know what my favorite part of Jason X is? Is when they try to run a simulation to distract him, and it's just two girls, and they're like, do you want to do drugs? Do you want to have premarital sex? We love premarital sex. And then they both get in sleeping bags and do the position where, like, their hands are on their their hands are on their chin, and they have their legs tucked behind them on their stomachs. It hard cuts back to them and they go, we got to reroute this power thing. It then cuts back to Jason. He's just beating one of the simulations to death with the other one in a sleeping bag. It's <laughs> so funny. It might be the funniest five minutes in a movie. That's not supposed to be funny. And it's great too because it cuts back to one of the people and they go, oh my God, he's good. It's a reference to like a kill in one of the other movies. I think it's no, I know. I know. But it's, six, it's really funny. Where yeah, it's the one he where he takes someone in a tree. sleeping bag and they hit him against the tree and it makes a smiley face. Friday the 13th movies aren't good, but they're good, if you know what I mean. They they know what they want to do. Which is, we're going to have a homunculi murder. <laughs> oh, man. It's amazing. The one that you think that's cool as a kid that turns out to be really lame is Jason Takes Manhattan. Because then you don't realize as a kid, they spend four minutes in Manhattan. I showed that to Naomi being like, oh, God, this is going to be so fun. And then it's so long that we were both like bored by the the time they get to Manhattan. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. There's a really cool part coming up. Wait, wait, wait. And then like the guy gets his head punched off and I was like, okay, we can go back to not paying attention now. See, I think the best scene in Manhattan is where Jason accidentally bumps into some thug and he goes, hey, man, what the fuck you doing? You want to get hurt? And like Jason turns around and just lifts up his mask and the guy goes, my bad, yo. And they all run away. And it's like, it's like, I guess the joke is Jason is so horrifying, even a New Yorker won't fuck with him. I, the stereotype of New York in that movie is so racist. It's so, it's, I don't, it's so insane. I would love that. I kind of love that movie. Oh, it's, oh, I, love I love all Friday the 13th. The Friday the 13th movies. movies. I think, I think if you're, I think if you're asking who the number one serial killer franchise is, I think it's Jason. In terms of quality, over a period of time, probably. Although Halloween does have the best sequel, which is Halloween 3. Okay, well, Halloween 3 does not count. You know that. And I won't debate that with you here. I mean, Halloween is the worst of them because the original isn't very good. And the rest well, of the movies are well, somehow worse. No, but it does have Halloween. No, that, don't say it. First of all, the first Halloween is not bad. It's a movie that has been aped so many times that you see all the flaws in it because of it. 
That right. first movie is true. really well done for like what he had to work with. Like he didn't have a lot, and you got to. But give it him is credit. like a C tier Carpenter movie. Oh, I mean, it like. Well, you know what? Watch this. Spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen. That's who's going to be the Mount Rushmore this time next year because one of them falls in October and it's going to be Carpenter because we've talked about him so much. <laughs> I'll say this right now. It's absolutely going to be on my list. Is it going to be number one? No, not at all. We all know what that's going to be. There's no surprise there. But it's definitely going to be on the list. I mean, we've done two of his movies and they're probably going to be on my list. Yeah, exactly. That's exa- No, we've done three of his movies. So the two of the movies that we've done will be on my list. What is? Oh, right. The other one. Yeah. Yeah, that one won't be on my list. No, but it'll be on mine. We can all figure out. We've currently have named four of them, so. Yeah, but that's not going to be the four that are on there. I can almost guarantee you that. Or at least one won't be on there. I can guarantee you that. Decided to put Vampires and Mars on mine. Wait, that's not a movie. Wait, I was uh, like, I was like, you combine two movies. You can got you combine <laughs> Vampires and Ghost of Mars. Ghost of Mars. Ghost of Mars. Oh, yeah. No, Vampires and Mars. That's a movie, right? I do like the idea of vampires just combining those two movies. You just make a buddy comedy with Ice Cube and John Bon Jovi. Like, David Coulier. Yeah, David Coulier and Ice Cube. <laughs> no, you make you make an, you make a, a John Bon Jovi Ice Cube movie where they're on Mars again. They're like, we got these vampire Mars, or they, we got these aliens. He goes, I think they're vampires. He goes, I think they're alien vampires, and they just high five and just start fucking killing them. I would just remake From Dust Till Dawn, but on an alien vampire bar. No, 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 Pitch Black. It's just the yeah, same, same thing. Exactly. Like, you just add vampires. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd watch that movie. We've gone so yeah. far off the rails. Uh, ask, ask me the next question. That'll all go at the end. 